0: Hey, let's go, let's go. Thanks for turning out. Let's pray and then we'll uh, chatter just a little bit. All right, here we go. Almighty God, who by your Son created all the good things that we enjoy so that even the winds and the sea obey Him. We pray now, give power to your word that your kingdom may grow and increase, that evil be pushed back, and the creation is delivered into the glorious freedom for all your children through Christ our Lord. Amen. So every time I get up on a gray Saturday morning, I think wonderful thoughts about all of you for turning out. Uh, I never, you know, I, this is, I mean, I love this more than anything, so I could, you know, just keep going. I realize um, you may love it too, but you may not just want to keep going every Saturday for the rest of your life. So. We'll try to keep, keep uh, going. Now you have to, if you want to know something, you're going to have to interrupt me because otherwise, you know, I'll just keep talking. I mean, the greatest sin is to bore you. So we've got a few, just so you can think out a little bit, uh, we'll try to bundle up forgiveness today, maybe talk about the creed a little bit, and then at some point we need to talk about prayer which can always make Christians a little nervous but I hope it doesn't and I want to try to welcome you into a life of of prayer that would change you and your family and the people around you and then talk about a Eucharistic life which would be this great life of joy and thanksgiving where you'd feel free to be the person and the congregation that Christ wants you to be so that would be a very, very nice thing. So that's where we're pushing. Uh, you know, we got a few weeks. It'll take a few weeks to do that. But you know, by the time Lent begins, we should be bundling up, and everybody should be figuring out if you want to come along. So Lent is, um, you know, early this year. It's just right at the beginning of March. So by the time that gets going, then uh, that'll pick up the slack. The whole goal of this, of course, is to push you toward a Bible study on Sunday morning. Almost everything that is important that happens in this congregation happens at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning because that's where information comes, that's where rationale is given, that's where direction is set. There's nothing here that's capricious, uh, but it may not always be obvious why we're doing what we're doing. So we try to explain, you know, why do we do what we do and why do we look the way we look? And there's usually a good, a good explanation for that. So, questions about anything? Occasionally some people say, you know, I wish I'd have asked, but do you have anything just lying out there you want to talk about? Otherwise, I'll just go. So uh, forgiveness is very simple. Jesus takes away your sins. And the only way your sins can hurt you is if you take them back. As we talk about this, right? Jesus takes away my sins, right? Literally, he takes away your sins. They don't belong to you anymore. And the only way that they can hurt you is if you take them back. And so, you know, the church and pastoral care and your friends, what's happening all the time is this constant reminder to you that Jesus takes away your sins. They don't belong to you anymore. And then the constant warning. Oh, that's a sin. You should give that to him. We talked about the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is only when you won't let him have your sins. You won't let him take it away. So you take, he takes away your sins, right? That's that's one way. You're going to fix it yourself. You're going to have a grudge against somebody or you're going to get revenge in some way. None of that belongs to the church. Even if you see it in the church, I guarantee you it doesn't belong to the church. So Jesus takes away your sins. Don't hold them back. But then also sometimes people can't believe that Jesus wants their sins, Or sometimes they think their sins are too horrible. If you're old enough, you've had the experience where you've done something. And when you've done it, you say, I can't believe I I did that. That's not me. That's not who I want to be. I didn't know that was in me. If you live long enough, you'll have that experience. And it'll shatter you. And so sometimes we can't actually believe that Jesus died for that one too. But forgiveness is such simple stuff. Jesus takes away your sins. Uh, but we just, we just can't quite believe it, or we can't quite do it, or we don't get it right, or we put conditions on it, or we make excuses, prodigal son, right? Or, you know, we, it, the church is so beautiful in its simplicity, and we bungle it in all directions. And so what we're trying to do here is unbungle it. You know, between you and Jesus and you and your pastor and you and your friends, you and your family, we're trying to live in a particular way, where, you know, as the sermon was last week, we listen to our Blessed Virgin Mother do whatever he tells you, right? Now, some of you will always want to do it on your own. For you, I'm gonna suggest not the church, but that you should go to the Montessori School of Dentistry. Right? So I give you this, because we have all kinds of things here. You know, because sometimes you just like to discover things on your own. Uh, You know, um, see the thing is, is these people over here, they need more education. There's not enough PhD, there's there you go. The Montessori School of Dentistry, that's what you need, right? Where, this this is so timely, right? Even though this was published way back in 2009. Students are being encouraged to break away from medical traditions. Just fill in theology any place that says medical or dental, and you'll get the very same thing, right? You don't need all that tradition stuff. You discover your own way to root canal procedures. This is great. I mean, students learn to operate periodontal lasers through play. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, if we had a real good preschool, we would just hand out lasers and let the kids shoot them at each other. At the end of the day, we'd see, you know, who lost an eye, and then we'd go on from there. Because this, of course, is the only way to learn is if you learn yourself, right? It's about fostering creativity. That's what the church is about. We'd like you to be creative. It's about promoting self-expression and individuality. This is so 2022. It's so beautiful, right? It's about looking at a decayed and rotten nerve pulp and drawing your own unique conclusions, right? Which is exactly how people treat the church. You should just be free to do what you want. So teachers or pastors are roving dental facilitators, right? Um, whether performing a root canal, there's no such thing as right or wrong. This is the church, right? There's no right or wrong anymore. It's just our self-expression. We need to think ahead and, you know. In addition to be able to set their own curriculum, Students at the private institution can take a break, right? If a student is installing a crown and feels midway through that he or she would benefit more from say, seeing where a tooth implant might lead, they can do that here. Which is so much about how the church works sometimes. We sort of make it up as we go along. So, you know, I encourage you, uh, if you wanna be creative, go to dental school. Apparently, you can do what you want there, but uh, if you want to live you know, forever in the presence of God, you might try the church. Now, occasionally, uh, for people who didn't grow up Lutheran, you get, uh, and this is, you know, it's been so interesting serving so long in an evangelical community. Uh, I always know kind of where the stick points are, and they're always going to be at baptism. Water really saves you. Or the Eucharist, this is the body of Christ, the same body that hung on the cross. Another stick point is where... I forgive you all your sins. As opposed to, I assure you that your sins are forgiven, as opposed to, Jesus forgives sins. Those three things are very, very different. You know, one is the objective, Jesus forgives sins. The next is, I assure you of it. So that's only as strong as me personally in my assurance. I assure you that your deposit is good for $250,000, right? But actually to say, I forgive you. Uh, Now, tomorrow... When I or somebody else says, I forgive you, by the way, the Archbishop of Latvia is here tomorrow to preach uh, and teach, whoa, we Latvians, we love them. Uh, uh, you hardly ever bump into an archbishop. Lutherans can barely say bishop. For them to say archbishop is a special charisma of the spirit. So uh, the Archbishop of Latvia will be here tomorrow. Kind of long story, but Pastor Nelson has a connection, and he went to their Pastor Nelson went there on his sabbatical to tug on the bishop's robe, the archbishop's robe, and say, this is a critical question. This is a whole other side of St. John that you don't see, but we give a lot of pastoral care to pastors who are in trouble. Pastor Nelson took a sabbatical to go to the Baltics and talk to the bishops and say, how do you care for pastors? It was a remarkable use of his own time. So anyway, the bishop returns the favor and shows up here tomorrow. Uh, That'll be interesting. Um. I doubt St. John has ever had an archbishop in the environs, so I hope he brings his mitre and his crook. But I don't know. Sometimes, you know, bishops—they have a thing. You would think it's—you um, would think it's like the hustler. It's—he's opening up a got a pool cue. No, no. There's a crook in that. So anyway, uh, we'll see what happens. A couple of years ago on sabbatical. Yeah, you can talk to him about it. He took the whole family. It's very interesting. But anyway, then there's always the question about, you know, why? Well, who are you to forgive my sins? Well, it wasn't my idea. I got a FedEx. That's how I knew I was supposed to come and forgive your sins. It came by FedEx. When you have a call, people always talk about their internal call. The only way you know if you have a call is if it comes by FedEx. So uh, you open and it says, you should come and forgive our sins. We're a damned lot, but maybe you could help us. Uh, and then you, you know, show up and, and be pastor. Now people say, why do you do that? Well, first you should know tomorrow... You listen tomorrow, pay attention. Whoever is forgiving your sins is going to erase himself in about nine different ways. First, he's going to wear vestments. So sometimes people think you wear vestments just because you like dressing up. But oh no, the reason you wear vestments is because it erases you. The only thing you will be able to see uh, are feet to get to you, and hands to bless you, and a mouth to speak kindly to you. Everything else with the pastor is erased. You shouldn't be thinking, that's a very nice suit. I wonder if he can write that off on his taxes. No, you shouldn't be thinking that, right? And of course, if you need to have forgiveness, you look for the guy with the stole. That's the guy who um, can forgive your sins in great confidence. I have a friend up in uh, Canada, a pastor, who had a boy in his congregation who murdered his whole family. And then came to see him immediately, still sort of blood-covered. And then all the way to the Canadian Supreme Court to see if they'd make him testify against the boy. And at least in those days in Canada, he still didn't have to. So, whatever you say to your pastor in confession, with a ritual is how the courts talk about it, so with a stole... So if you need to confess your sins, you find somebody with a stole. If you need to go to the Lord's Supper, you find somebody with a chauzable. We're color-coded. It's easy. It's like granimals. You aren't old enough to remember that, but you should ask somebody. Do you remember granimals? No, you didn't. You do? Okay, I don't need to know more about you than that. Okay, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, so he'll come, uh, the pastor will tomorrow, he'll, he'll erase himself in what he wears, and then erase himself with his words. He'll say something like, this wasn't my idea, but we figured a lot like you would show up like this. I called, not my idea, ordained, put here by Christ, servant, so I'm not running the show, in the stead, look it up in the Oxford English Dictionary. The old meaning doesn't just mean in the place of, it means, in the place of for the advantage of others, in the stead, and by the command. Believe me, I think some of you should be left to sort of boil in the pitch a while. But no, Jesus died for you, so here we go. You're all forgiven and we're going to get a fresh start. So four or five or six or seven different ways, the pastor says, hey, this isn't me, which kind of eliminates the argument of, who do you think you are Forgiven my sins? The answer is, I'm just the guy who got put here because I got a FedEx. So, um, but nevertheless, if Jesus stands behind it, then it'll all be good. now, for Jesus to stand behind it, you should look at John 20. So grab a Bible in front of you. Uh, Forgiveness is very rarely our idea. We would rather see people twist in the wind. But if you grab a Bible, and if you're the first one there, if you could shout out what the... What is it, Bravely? Got a page number for John 20? 906. That away. As brave as what we like around here. That was a teacher's voice, wasn't it? That was good. 906, but there are some of you have the other version with bigger print, which I favor. Is there a number in that book too? You got, is it 906 in yours too? 906 is the number? Yeah. John 20, okay, good, so here we go. So you remember the story Jesus dies, Easter morning, Jesus has risen, all kinds of fun is happening, road to Emmaus and clearing to the women, and then, you know, uh, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, this is John 20, 19, So, Easter night, the doors were shut because the disciples were afraid. Jesus came and stood among them and said, this is verse 19, peace be with you, which then is what the pastor always says to you, peace be with you. I mean, what you want, what you need most is peace. This is shalom. This is the overriding feel of Eden. This is where everything is perfect. This is where holiness reigns and nobody argues. This is Adam and Eve before the fall. All that is in this notion of peace, right? So basically, Jesus is saying, hey, everything is fabulous, okay? I love you. You love me. The devil is conquered. Your sins are forgiven. We're going to go to heaven and live forever. Hang around, I'll be back. That's all bundled up in this little thing of peace be with you. Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed him his hands and his side, just to be sure there wasn't any confusion about who he was. So, hey, look at this, remember? And when you get to heaven, you'll be able to see Jesus' nail holes. If you want to, like Thomas, you can put your hand in his side. This is something just by the by that people don't remember very much, which distinguishes Christianity. Jesus always has his flesh. Jesus doesn't have his flesh. He doesn't take his flesh, and then it's not like a you know um, a Hindu apparition or you know he takes his flesh and he keeps his flesh. So you'll be able to touch Jesus on the nose. There'll be some handshaking line like there was at your wedding, and you know people will be eating cake. It'll just be almost the same. It's a marriage feast, right? So you know you'll you'll be able to touch him. So he just, just but you'll be able to check. Like he'll say. He'll say, what are you doing here? And you'll stick out your tongue where the host is. As Theodora Mopsuestia said, that's your ticket to the resurrection. You know? Instead of saying the body of Christ tomorrow, we should say your token of the resurrection. That's what he said, your ticket to heaven. Eddie money for you who work animals. So, um, uh, so uh, you'll get there and Jesus will show you his wounds and then he'll say to you what he said to the disciples. Peace be with you. And they were glad when they saw the Lord, verse 20. Jesus said again, peace be with you. And then here's the, you know, here's the little bit. Sometimes, occasionally, you know, it's trendy to say there's no office of the ministry in Scripture, there's no pastors in Scripture, or everybody's, you know, everybody's office is the same, everybody's vocation is indistinguishable. Well, here it is. He says to the apostles, um, peace be with you, as the Father sent me, I sent you. And you, this is the history of the, even the New Testament and then early church. You can read about it kind of almost everywhere of the apostles go out and they say, Jesus sent me. And when they get ready to die, they find the next guy. So Timothy and Titus, for example, we're going to have a week here in about a week or two. It'll be the feast days in a row of Timothy, uh, Paul and Titus. So Paul and then the two guys that he put into the ministry at the seminary in St. Louis, there used to be a stained glass window in the front of Timothy and Titus. It was put there intentionally because it was to tell the guys who were studying for the ministry, you're Timothy, you're Titus. You stand in this thing. Now they've replaced it with a Jesus who's kind of ephemeral. You could see outside and look at the tree. It wasn't an upgrade. But that's another story. So here we go. When he said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, you might even think back to how, remember we talked about how the pastor breathes on you. uh, At least still in Luther's baptismal ceremony, he lifts up your eyelid and breathes on you uh, as a way of shaming and chasing the devil away. So he breathed on them when he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, and just a simple line, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So tomorrow, when you say your sins, and Uh, then Jesus is going to say, okay, I'm taking those away from you. How does he do that? He takes them away because the pastor says to you, in the name, in the stead, by the command of our Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins. It's not me. It's not me. It's the Lord forgiving your sins. He takes away your sins. We're just doing what says in John 20. People can deny it. They can argue with it. They can undercut it. They can do what they want. Here's the thing. Do whatever he tells you. Jesus says, this is a pastor's job, to take away sins. So we take away sins. You bring your sins tomorrow, bring them all. That muff here will take care of them. We'll take them away. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven. If you don't, they're not. But the only ones, you don't see this as kind of bullying, as hey, I won't forgive you until you, you know, there is, there's a long history in the church of you stand out in the snow for four years and then, you know, wearing a hair shirt, this is true stuff, and maybe, you know, maybe you can be forgiven. Or if you do a lot of penance, if you be a good boy, then, you know, come back in a year, you can be forgiven. Uh, so that's not how it works. It works like this. You say, I'm a damn sinner, and Jesus says, I'll take care of that for you. Nice. Right? Our problem is we won't believe it and we won't do it. That's our problem. Our problem isn't on Jesus' side. Make sense? You still okay? Now's the time to scream. Friend. I'm not sure why I feel the need to share this, but Okay. This is always interesting. Everybody strap in. <clears throat> I have a tendency to ask forgiveness for the same sin. Yes. Even though I can Good. Oh. drives me insane. Thanks for being so normal. For you, I'm going to ascribe uh, a dose or two of individual confession and absolution. So you have it right before you. Is very foreign to uh, Lutherans. But should you ever find yourself in the place where you keep doing the same sin over and over... Uh, or you want to talk about it a little bit, you should come and see your pastor. (laughs) And he'll get out this little form right here, which Lutherans are, you know, woefully uninstructed about, and he'll say, oh, well, we should be sure to work that through. So let me just tell you uh, my... If you come to individual confession, my goal is to leave you smiling and relieved. So this is how it works. We offer it at Lent... uh, Sometimes at Advent, uh, and always by arrangement. But in Lent, we'll we'll hear confession, you know, all uh, all the time. This is sometimes weird for people, but then we're weird in a lot of ways. So here you go. So you, I mean, Jesus. Every time you meet Jesus and he's forgiven sins, it's knows to know somebody is saying, "I'm a damn sinner," and Jesus is saying, "This is great." But they're not sort of doing it, you know, with a hundred people saying it with him. It's not that either one is legitimate or illegitimate. Well, it's not that you Know one way or the other, they don't play off against each other. That's maybe a better way to say it. But should you find such a thing happening to you, you should call your pastor and say, I want to come to uh confession. No, that's not you want, well, that's you know, you also don't want to take off your clothes when you go to the doctor, but sometimes you know, it's uh, <clears throat> sometimes you got to be about grown up about things. I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it is kind of the best analogy, which is, you know, when you're younger, when you, you know, the first time you go to a doctor where they're like, okay, take off all your clothes. And you're like, all my clothes? You're like, yeah, because there's things we need. You know, I mean, yeah, it's, and then uh, later you sort of muse about the glory of nakedness in creation. It's like that. You should say, um, I'd like to get rid of this. Now, having said that, a good pastor never probes. So a good pastor never says to you, surely there must be more, Carol. Tell me a good story. Now, I mean, here's the thing. If I never learn one more bad thing about anybody, I'm completely satisfied. I would only like to think about all of you as being as holy as Jesus. I'm worn out from hearing people's sins. However, I also don't like it if you can't sleep at night. So this is what it would be like. I'll see you at Lent. You'll come and say, um, hey, nice candles. I'll say, sit down. You'll say, let's go. I'll say, kneel down. Then you'll say uh, something like, um, what particularly bothers me is, now sometimes people say, "Uh, I can't talk about that yet, or nothing in particular. That's completely fine. So if you'd like to, when when I taught in the old days, when I was a boy, when I taught confirmation to kids, I did private confession with every kid. Except, you know, with all the strictures and uh, kind of there's a St. John rule, I'm sure I've said it to you out loud, but we're never alone with a child. And if you see a pastor or anybody else alone with a child, something funky is going on and you should call BS. That's not how it works here. So what I would do is put all the kids in the back row and then kids could come one by one to the front and we would run through this with them. So they would not fear it and know it was available. Because what happens is you'll find out, unlike you and I, kids are... Very eager to talk about the things they've done. So in confirmation, it wasn't unusual to go through this lesson, and then somebody would raise their hand. Uh, you know, so you got a bunch of seventh and eighth graders, and they would say things like, "So you're telling me that, like, say somebody went to their neighbor's house and watched porn on an iPhone for like an hour? Jesus could forgive that, theoretically speaking." <laughs> Just say somebody did that. And you'd say. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what Jesus does. And then he'd say, oh, that's not good for you. Your sins aren't good for you. We should probably, you know. So you would come and say a range of things. You would say, nothing in particular. Or you would say, so brutal I can't talk about it. Or you would say, I keep doing this and it's destroying me. And then the pastor, there's a, you'll notice there's a little place where it says the pastor can offer encouragement, Right. So usually a pastor would say something to you like or should say something to you like, you know, there's a scripture for that. The Lord never stops loving you and you got the Holy Spirit when you were um, baptized and you touch good holy things and those holy things have their way with you and you really do have the power inside you to change and you might need a therapist to help you or you might need a friend to help you or you might need to come to confession or you might need to do a little penance and in this sense, penance is... Not, i got to do some good things and then get forgiven. We destroyed that with the prodigal son. It would be, I get forgiven and then I do some good things. So for some people, you actually need to say to them, you should probably just sit there and say the Lord's Prayer ten times. That would be a really good start on whatever you want to do next, right? And part of the reason you do that is because when people start to welcome the Lord's Prayer, for example, or when they say it over and over again, it does a multitude of things, from protecting them from demons to reshaping the vision for their life and reminding them they're a child of God. So if your pastor said to you, you should probably you know, say this 10 times a day, you probably should say it 10 times a day and then come back and see him again. So that's meant to be utterly non-threatening and utterly purifying at the level at which you find yourself, right? And so if there's something that bothers you again and again, there are ways to, there are strategies to get through things. So I think I, I just alluded to this little bit, but I'll get, it's such an easy and common thing. So, especially for men who struggle with pornography, you know, what do I give them? What do I give them? What's their penance, if you will? What do they need to do? Um, Put a cross, a crucifix, on the screen, where they engage in pornography. So I give them something for their eyes. I give them memory work. Something for their lips. And I have them buy a crucifix and keep it in their pocket. Something for their hand if you're looking at a crucifix and saying memory work about a crucifix and holding a crucifix in your hand, it's very difficult to watch pornography. It just kind of uh, ravels you, right? And so there are, But that's true for all kinds of things in life. And the church has you know, made its money by <laughs> helping people you know, defeat this and that, right? Jesus, you know, he comes, this young guy, I mean, this is one of the saddest stories in Scripture, this guy comes to him, and, you know, hey, I want to I play. And Jesus is like, Fabulous. I, I hardly ever meet people like you. And Jesus says, You know, go and sell all that you've got, and you can come be disciple number 13. This is going to be fabulous. When Judas pops out, you could just slide right in. We don't have to roll dice for M- M- Matthias. We'll just, we, gotta, we, got, we got succession planning going on here. And um, you remember how the story ends. He walked away downcast because he was very rich. So what is Jesus saying to them? Give money to the poor. For some of you, your advice is going to be give money to the poor. Some of you need to give money to the poor, a lot of money to the poor, because you're too attached to it. Right? Some people here we have to stop them from giving. Do you know the Pharisees could only tithe a third of what they had every year, some because otherwise they, if things went bad, they didn't have enough money to keep the economy going in Jerusalem. People get overzealous, right? Give all their money to the Fed and then wait, let me think about this. So, uh, uh, anyway, makes sense? So, you know, if you want, I'll see you on Ash Wednesday. Uh, yes? I'm kind of struggling with this concept of when it would be appropriate for a pastor to withhold forgiveness. It's interesting that's, and the first thing comes out of that is forgiveness. Good. But when would you withhold? If you withhold your sin, the pastor withholds forgiveness. Because I don't dominate you, probe, or force. So if you have a sin, and you hold it out of my reach, you can have all of these, but this one I'm going to fix myself, which is usually a grudge uh, or revenge, right? I'm going to, so the ones I can't forgive is the ones you don't present. So tomorrow you're going to come and say all of them. Then the pastor's going to say all of them. The church is so simple. The reason the church is so screwed up is nobody will play by the rules. You won't bring all of them. I won't forgive all of them. You won't do this. I won't do that. Pretty soon, you're at the Montessori School of Dentistry. Right? Everybody's doing what they want. Make sense? Yeah, good. Please? How does the pastor then kind of forget the things that they heard? That is actually a great question. The answer is not consciously. One of the hardest things for me is, and, and this happens all the time, and I've had to learn to keep a straight face. People will come to, and come back to confession, or even if they told me something really horrible, and they say, as I was saying last time, and I'm going, I got no idea what you were saying. I mean, literally, I'm like, I got no idea what you were saying last time. And the other thing is I have zero interest in kind of carrying that baggage around. It's not my baggage to carry. I just don't, there's sort of this blessed, there's a a few things that happen to you when you're a pastor. One is you get sort of an extra layer of protection. Um, Divine ordination comes with divine protection. Because, you know, just yesterday I spent, you know, working out a strategy for a woman who seems to be demon-possessed with another pastor who's like, what do I do, right? And I just said, you know, be careful, this is going to be, kind of. it's going to be, like, don't Pay attention. So you'll need an extra layer of protection for whatever he's doing, right? So, um, but the other thing is you get this divine forgetfulness. I think part of it, you know, I could maybe explain it in a couple of ways. Part of it is you get so tired of, you have to hear this in the right way and not be discouraged. You get so tired of hearing good people do horrible things. And you don't want to hold on to that. Now, part of that, there's a pride in saying that because then you think, I'm a good person, I don't do horrible things, right? But of course. So part of it is just the exhaustion of horrible things. In canon law, every priest has to go away for, not vacation, a spiritual retreat two weeks a year minimum. It's in canon law. Lutherans have no sense of this, that hearing this all the time wears pastors down. The Catholic Church has institutionalized it Like, you can't go on unless you do this, right? Another thing is, is if you hear confession, you always have a confessor. Now, my problem is both my confessors have died, and I'm in the hunt. But, um, and the other thing is, partly we don't teach guys. I went to confession to a new guy once who, then I sort of said this and that, and then he got up and he preached me a sermon from Sunday, which was two things. One is, 20 minutes is a long time to preach, pal. Go 10. And second, he wasn't paying attention to anything I said, which means he didn't actually know what he was doing, right? So nobody ever he never been, and nobody ever taught him, so when it was time to do it, right? So what happens is, what do you do with all that stuff? There's this kind of blessed forgetfulness. Um, This has actually happened here. Uh, Not to me, but to another pastor. So there was a... um, I don't know the details, it actually breaks the seal to talk about and we don't even talk usually about people who come to like somebody showed up for confession, you might see somebody but you shouldn't think that's abnormal, it's normal care but uh, a man came to the pastor and said all these things and then the pastor said, you're forgiven and about 20 minutes later the guy came back and knocked on the door and said "Um, you know all that stuff we were talking about and the pastor had a brilliant response. What stuff? He goes, you know, that stuff we were talking about. He's like, what stuff? right? This is the perfect response. The stuff doesn't exist anymore. Jesus took it away. It doesn't live here anymore. It's out of sight. It's out of mind, right? So, um, and the only exception to that would be there's a great colic somewhere where it says, Make the memory of my sins so reprehensible that I'll never do them again. See, so that'd be another thing to talk about, which is you kind of go, this is so painful, I'll only think about it so that I don't do it again, right? But I have to say, um, I have no interest in, and pastors don't, it's too too much, it would destroy you, right? Um, Yeah, I can tell you this. I have a friend <clears throat> who was mayor, so yeah, how much how much do we yeah, three minutes, okay. And, the exorcist. That's a real story. Here's the backstory: it was an LCMS boy, not a girl. They brought him to the seminary in St. Louis, the guys didn't know what to do. They took him to the Jesuits at St. Louis University and did the exorcism. The story is based on an LCMS boy. There's something you didn't know. And I have a friend who was one of the three priests who was, who was married to a Catholic woman by one of the three priests who was in the exorcism that's portrayed in the exorcist. He was 27 and overnight he went completely gray and it never came back. That's the kind of things. So you don't want to carry these things around with you, right? Like you just... Jesus really, really means it. I'm taking this away, and you shouldn't be bothered by it anymore if you carry it around. And this is why if people have been, you know... Uh, <laughs> you saw Meatloaf died yesterday, right? Big Meatloaf fans? Come on. When we lived in New Jersey, when I was at Princeton, Kirby did Meatloaf's taxes for Ernst and & Young. And they used to send a letter from Ernst and Young that said, Dear Meat and Leslie. I'm like, you should at least call it Mr. Loaf. Come on. But anyway, if you read the obituary yesterday, uh, the Rolling Stone obituary, which is by far the best one, he says, my dad beat me from the time I was a little boy and once tried to stab me to death when my mother died in a drunken rage. Now here's the thing. If that happens to you, you got some stuff that needs to be unloaded, Right? So, children who are abused, people who are beaten up, parents who betray you, people who—just pick something, right? A lot of sins needs some work, uh, and lot, we're damaged. I mean, the, the whole point of spending so much time in forgiveness—you know—we're going to kind of scooch ahead as we go. Like, if you get this right, everything else is going to work because this is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the forgiveness of sins. Right? That's, that's what, you know, um, thy kingdom come, you're basically saying, let forgiveness flood the landscape. But it, it's we're real people with real problems. And we've done really bad things. And really bad things have been done to us. And dreams have been broken, and lives have been shattered, and families have been blown up, and people you thought you could count on went Judas on you. Right? And if you don't let somebody take that away it will destroy you which kind of explains the world in which we live where forgiveness is now not a virtue but a vice you've heard this particularly over the past couple of years where forgiveness is signs of weakness and exploitation no enemies must be killed vengeance must be had and so the church is weirder than it's ever been which is fabulous because now people can see the difference between them and us and imposters get swept away. I was called for jury duty here. It was like being picked last at recess for kickball because I went in my collar, of course, because, you know, open book, right? Uh, And on both sides, the lawyers kept going, that guy, that guy, I'm like, I'm here. I'm right here in front of you. Finally, the judge said to me, "Do you think you could be fair and impartial?" I'm like, "You're hurting my faith." Now, the judge may have been smarter than me. Pick this thing up that looks like this. This is beautiful. If I taught seminary, you know, this is what I would. When it came time to talk about ordination, this is what I would teach. This is great. This is how you should think about your pastor. You got it? I've never served on a jury, nor, if I trust memory, have I ever published widely the reasons for this. The immediate reason is I've invariably found some way to be excused, right? I received, I took the liberty showing up, it was effective, judge, prosecutor, they all ignored me. This is exactly what happened to me, right? But look at, par- look at the fourth paragraph. This is the most beautiful thing. And you, you don't think of your pastor this way, but you should think of your pastor this way. This is the job description. The fact is, no one who hears confessions should ever, under any circumstance, serve on a jury. When he hears confession, the priest functions in the capacity of a parakletos. You, you know this is paraclete, as the Holy Spirit, but it means Advocate or counselor or defense attorney or the person who speaks up for somebody. That is, he serves the penitent as the minister of God's infinite mercy. Like God, the father confessor is always on the side of the sinner. If you come to confession, you'll sit here and you'll stare at the crucifix. The pastor will sit here and talk into your ear. You have an unbroken line of communication. And the pastor will encourage you and say what Jesus would say. Or better, what Jesus says. Um, Can you render judgment based entirely on the objective evidence placed before you? That's what they ask you, right? I just turned over the page. I don't see how it can safely be answered in the affirmative by a man whose habitual mindset is formed in a forum where he functions as the minister of divine mercy. No matter what you say, my job is to say, that's forgiven, right? And this came at at the George Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin time. Um, But uh, just go to the next paragraph. The thought of a Christian going into his heart and condemning someone else simply staggers the mind. Now, this is so important for you. Immediately, I suspect your reflex will be, well, how the hell is the world going to work then? This is different. There's a difference between judgment, having standards, knowing holiness, seeing that there's right and wrong, that's different from condemnation. You remember Romans eight one, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So certainly in the church, there's never any condemnation for you. Certainly there is judgment and occasionally there is punishment. There is right and wrong and there is course correction, but there is not condemnation for a, for, for a human being, You know, for a pastor to look in his heart, for a Christian to look and to condemn another person, That's not your business, friends. If a Christian does this on any occasion, he must shudder at the judgment that awaits him. You know this, Jesus, right? Judgment you judge with will be your judgment. No, in a courtroom, the only legitimate judgment is one reached on the basis of objective evidence presented in the case, not sentiments of the heart. And this is the reason a father or confessor must not serve on a jury. He knows in the depths of his heart that there is always more to the story. We talked about this last week. There's always one fact in somebody else's story you don't know. And then this you should memorize this. I think it's 1 Peter 3, 21, I think. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Um, My confessor would say to this, when I would despair of things, he would say this to me. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. Right? This is pure scripture. And He knows all things. St. Augustine tells a story. You can read that. Um, Chesterton talks about this. You can read that. Um, last paragraph As for myself, I recently received yet another summons to be present for the purpose of passing judgment on my fellow sinners. I need not worry about this ever again, however. I was informed in court that my age is now three quarters of a century, and I was dismissed immediately. Beautiful. That's the sort of stuff they should teach you at seminary. So you should, I mean, this is partly, I said this kind of the very first week. I mean, I grew up in a church, you know, God rest their souls and may they see perpetual glory. But I grew up in a church where pastors after pastor after pastor yelled at me and wagged their finger. And, you know, I never knew there was any advantage in my pastor or that any pastor I had really loved me. And you could feel that in the character of the church. Um, And many people have had a similar experience, and it's, of course, intensified by the malfeasance and sins and crimes of pastors along the way. But if you could get it, if you could find a church where people would say, Jesus, take away my sins. And the pastor says, Jesus takes away your sins. That would be the church that Jesus intends. And, you know, we don't talk about it much, and um, we don't do it enough. And a lot of Christians have spent a lot of time over the last couple of years, especially condemning other Christians and other non-Christians. You know, you have to ask very carefully whether that belongs to a Christian to condemn another people, person. Yes, we have standards. Yes, we know what is holy. Yes, we do not do wrong. Yes, we seek justice. And also, we know mercy, we forgive. We've been forgiven, and we live by the paraclete, the Holy Spirit who prompts us to do good work. Fruits of the Spirit and all that. So, you know, I'm always, I'm sort of embarrassed now in my latter years that I have you get up every Saturday morning when, on a day like this, bed seems so appealing. In my little footy jammies and, you know, thinking wonderful, warm thoughts. But then, you know, you start to do this and you're like, ah, this is worth it. Luther at his best when he wasn't being a cranky old man, knew a lot about love. So I've given you this page of just some random margin comments, but the first one is from Luther, right? I mean, mean, Luther was a genius, of course, but when he's like this, he's beyond good. He's beyond his best. Your brother does not cease to be your brother because he slips or offends you. That is when he has the most need of your love. So, like, just don't think about just your physical bro Think about your kids, right? You're no daughter of mine, or any iteration that takes. Think about friends. Think about church meetings. I, you know, I've only had two calls, so I've only gotten to tell this story two times. But my very first meeting with, when I was in my first parish in this parish, I said quite intentionally. I'm very glad to be here and not somewhere else. This is a true story. I have a friend, and I said, in his very first church meeting, there was a big disagreement, and a guy over here got up, picked up his chair, and threw it at another guy sitting over there. So I said, I'm really glad to be in a church where people don't throw chairs, right? So what does that do? The first guy who throws a chair is a complete idiot in front of everybody and disagrees with the new pastor, right? That's this. We live in a world where people throw chairs rather than go to confession and absolution. Loving your neighbor as yourself means that you should not obey the sinful nature, which, when it is offended, hates and bites and devours America the last three years or maybe five years or maybe ten years You can pick your own timeline rather you should wrestle against it by the Spirit so that the Holy Spirit comes to you and gives you another option you can act just like everybody else and just you know seek vengeance or You can seek the way of life, the way of forgiveness, the way of gentleness, truth, kindness, patience, self-control, fruits of the Spirit stuff, right? What happens when the Holy Spirit comes is you have another option. You have a new will, you have a new energy, a new possibility to choose, and also a new direction. I'll go this way, and everybody else is going that way. Rather, you should wrestle against it by the Spirit and continue loving your neighbor, although you find... Nothing in him worthy of love. Here's the thing. This is just so fabulous, right? You love people because Jesus asks you to love them. Jesus says, I love sinners. And then you say, oh, I don't really love sinners. that." No, no, no. Do whatever he says. Faith agrees. I love sinners. You say, I love sinners. Now, you have to work out what love means. You don't help people do things that destroy them. It doesn't mean you're standardless. It just means you love sinners, right? That's what it means. So, uh, our righteousness is much more abundant than our sin. Because the holiness and righteousness of Christ, our mediator, far exceeds the sin of the whole world. Or, you know, the great words of Norman Nagel, Jesus forgives more sins than you've got. Great stuff. And the forgiveness of sins that we have through him is so great that it is really important, easily swallows up all our sins so long as we live by the Spirit. To live by the Spirit is to agree with Jesus, is to do what he asks. And Jesus says, I would love to take away your sins. That's what I would love to do. I'd love to take away your sins. And to that you say, as faith always says, well, thank you very much because I would love to get rid of my sins. So, uh, this is, you know, this is at, the, at the center of the church. So, kind of look where we've gone now. Jesus loves you, and he baptizes you, he adopts you, he names you, he takes you as part of his family, he resurrects you, he moves you from death to life, and then he says, you should live here, and then you know where here is. Here is inside the Ten Commandments, right? So, we just moved inside there. Now, you live here, and then we talked last week about how... Uh, unbelievers say, my sins are freedom, and believers say, my sins are bondage. So unbelievers always say, let's play out here, that will be fabulous. And then believers say, if you play out there, that's going right back to death, let's play in here. And yet so often, we're in here, in Christ, in the church, in resurrection, in glory, Romans 6, this is what we did way at the beginning, we're way back over here, and yet we always think, aren't these people having a load of fun? And the answer is, they're not having a load of fun. This is death. Even though, if you measure by uh, short time frames, five years or 20 years or a lifetime, if you, you have an inaccurate control on your experiment. You don't have enough time to assess relevancy. Extrapolation from a small base, as our philosophers would say it. Now so we follow Jesus into what? Into an eternity that is glorious, loving, hopeful, bright, beautiful, where you can actually put your fingers in Jesus' wounds and remember how you got there. Now all of that is happening on the first page of the liturgy. Like we've been here a zillion times. I mean we've eaten we've eaten several dozen donuts and we still have not gotten past the first page of the liturgy. You see how far there is to go. But now you'll realize what I realized when I went to Cambridge. At Cambridge, since the beginning of the... At Cambridge, they didn't teach uh, history of doctrine beyond uh, the Seventh Ecumenical Council, so you know the first eight centuries, nine centuries of the church, because they said every mistake has already been made. Just read history. Every mistake's already been made. And so uh, that's a little bit what happens tomorrow. You're going to come in, and everything is going to happen to you at the beginning of the service. You're going to dip your fingers in the font and say, I was baptized, and you're going to get on the road to Emmaus that leads to the altar, but you're going to have a little stop before that and kneel down and say, take away my sins. And your sins are going to get taken away, and you're going to say, this is fabulous. I've got a new way to live. I'm going to live inside the Ten Commandments, inside the Ten Words. I'm going to live where holiness lives, and this is going to be great. And that's seven minutes into the service, and everything's already been said, and everything else that will be said is just an expansion of that. This is why Luther says if you get law and gospel right, you're a doctor of the church. If you get sin and holiness right, if you get um, confession and absolution right, you get everything right. If you get it wrong, you get everything wrong. It's the reason we spent so much, so much time on just this little, small thing. Jesus takes away your sins. Don't take them back. In one sentence, that's all we've done, all the times we've met together. And if you get that, you couldn't possibly be condemning other people because you're a sinner whose sins got taken away. And if you can live this way, your whole life will change. Your life will change with your spouse, with your kids, with the people you work with, with your next-door neighbors, the people in your church. The possibilities are enormous. And if you don't, then you can have the life you see on the news every night, which I suppose is a way of condemning you. So, uh, you know, uh, this is why the church is different. And this is why, and now there's going to be a little bit of a shift as we go, You know, I'm going to spend probably the rest of my time saying to you, come on now, let's go. And you've agreed, let's go. This is part of the reason we don't just, people sometimes just send us letters. I'm transferring in and we're like, yeah, no. Because we tell you when you're in and we tell you when you're out. Just like the church sent me a FedEx and said, you're in. And then at some point they'll send me another FedEx and say, you're out, right? Right. This is a different kind of place. You should have a different kind of life. We're trying to have this transparent, authentic, disciplined life that Christ led. And we want everybody to be a part of that. So when we say things to you like, you should come to church. Or you should tithe 10%. Or you should forgive your enemies. Or you should turn the other cheek. Or you should say your prayers. Or you should do good to those who hate you. Or you should never condemn. And you should live in holiness. And this is best and good and wonderful. That you won't, you know, look at me, as we say in Iowa, like a cow staring at a new gate. Right? So that's what we're trying to do. That's the reason you're here. That's the whole point. That's why it takes so long. Because what I don't want you to do is sign on the dotted line and disappear. I don't have time for that. I have all the time you want if you want to talk about Jesus and the forgiveness of your sins. I don't have time for all the other nonsense that people think the church is about, okay? So I'm old, I'm gonna die. I would like to have some fun with you. Let's go, right? And so the next Saturdays, however often we're here, is basically to say, come on, let's go. But I don't want there to be any surprise in that. You know, if I call you and say, You haven't been to church in four weeks. What is up? I love you, and I miss you. And besides, Hebrews, don't forsake assembling together. Right? We need each other. You shouldn't think that's a weird call. You should say, why did he wait so long? Right? So, all right. I know that was a lot. That was half of what I wanted to do. I actually thought this morning when I came, I went upstairs and made a bunch of cops. I thought, ah, there's not enough to do here. But then it always turns out there's enough to do. So hang around and talk if you want. Take donuts home. Take some yogurt, do what you want, take your kids home, you know, for goodness (laughs) sakes, not leave us any children, except for Johan, I would take Johan for the afternoon, we'll watch ESPN together, it'll be great. All right, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, see you tomorrow. Thanks very much.